Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Spencer Tuma, Director of National Legislative Programs, and my co-host today is BJ Tanksley, Director of State Legislative Affairs. Hey, Thanks BJ. for having me. Today on our podcast, we have Congressman Jason Smith from Missouri's 8th Congressional District. Congressman, thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you, Spencer, BJ. Yeah, thanks well, for joining us. We're really glad to have you. Um, and Congressman, you know, we are joining you. Uh, we're recording this for our listeners a little bit in advance. So we're joining everybody from the 8th Congressional District Farm Tour. Um, so before we get started... With we're in our, God's country. We are in God's country. <laughs> right yes. in the middle of in the heart of America. Beautiful Butler County. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of listeners from your district, but also some that are maybe not from your district. So why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and then also tell us a little bit about your annual farm tour. Perfect. You know, I represent everything 20 miles south of the city of St. Louis. If you think of Hillsboro, DeSoto in the most northeastern corner, and we go about 10 miles from Branson. Uh, it's 30 counties uh, representing the what I call the heart of America. My hometown is Salem. Population less than 5,000. That's where my family's been for seven generations. I have a, I'm the fourth generation owner of our family farm there. I raise red, white, and black cattle. Right. Um, so I try to make sure yeah. all three of the, the people are there with me. So you got to like one of them. I also uh, have a herd of buffalo and a lot of Katahdin sheep and Cool. Some goats. So I did not know that. That's very interesting. Little bit of everything. So you talk about diversified livestock operation. Come to the the <laughs> the Smith Ranch, and we even have a donkey named Hillary. So it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite an experience. Oh, there you go. That's very interesting. And every year, you know, we are at Farm Bureau are really fortunate to participate in your farm tour. I know this is something you've done since you've been elected to Congress. Tell us a little bit about why we're here in Butler County and and what you do every year on the tour. You know, this is our eighth year. Of, of doing it. We've done one every every year. Our goal is, is during the August uh, break from Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. um, I don't want to break. This is the right. time when I can travel every one of our 30 counties uh, promoting the number one industry for the state of Missouri, the number one industry for southeast Missouri, which is agriculture. And so I, uh, I, I uh, set my team to find the most unique variety of, of small farms, of large farms, of agriculture businesses, manufacturers, so that we can go visit them. We do uh, farm town hall meetings, <laughs> um, which are great. Today, I was at a livestock market in Patton, Missouri, and literally went in the middle of the cell and started taking questions from all the cattle buyers. So it's it's a great opportunity to hear directly um, from my 750,000 bosses. And you hear all kinds of items uh, of regulations that they deal with, uh, of laws that they want changed, uh, concerns. And it's not just ag. It's Mm -hmm. healthcare. It's unemployment. It's broadband. I mean, all of it multiplies. And so at the end of the farm um, ag summit, uh, we compile a list of all the different issues that come up, and then we do an action item action item report of what what statutes maybe we could try to change, what legislation could we file, or where could we work with the administration to try to address some of these, including the governor along with the the president. And so we've had some very successful. Um, outcomes. Uh, in 2016, I think was our most successful 
uh, Ag Summit, mm-hmm. where we compiled a list and three weeks after the president was elected, gave it to his transition team and they ended up reversing, I think it was 17 wow. of the regulations that we brought forward, including Waters of the United States, the power plan rules, yeah. the lead ammunition ban. Mm-hmm. Um, we've even had issues, my first farm tour stop that baptisms on the current river. So you talk about the gamut of yeah. of things that you get to address, but it's a great opportunity to have boots on, boots on the ground and and to hear from the people that employ you. Absolutely. That's a really interesting way to get to stay in touch with your people and learn new things that you may not have known was going on. Earlier we were talking about what are some of the more unique things you've seen on your farm tour. If you'd want to share some of those, I think it's really fun to hear the diversity across your district. Yeah, you know, we have the most diverse uh, ag district in the entire state. The only congressional district that grows cotton and rice. Um, It's all done in the boot hill. Of course, uh, we've visited cotton and rice farms, peanut farmers, uh, but we even visited a farm this year that they raise Spanish goats and they actually uh, use uh, every three weeks, they draw the blood out. And that blood is the blood that's most similar to human blood. And it's used for research in Europe uh, for medical science research that could affect humans. We've been to worm farms. We've been to one of the largest garlic farms. Um, We've been to a huge mushroom farm um, that grows mushrooms for all of Walmart. So you could go from horseradish to watermelon to pumpkins to agro-tourism where they have huge pumpkin patches to the the largest winery in the state of Missouri, which happens to be St. James Winery. They produce 47% of all wine for the entire state. Um, That was one of our stops this year to you name it. It, it, The diversity of of everything that we do, uh, it was pretty neat. In Perryville, we went to the ribbon cutting of a new tractor museum, which absolutely is the most remarkable museum of every known tractor you could possibly think of that they just opened. And that was one of the highlights this year. So we like to do everything that promotes tourism to our area, Mm -hmm. promotes uh, the importance of agriculture, and then also hear directly of the concerns of how we can try to address them. So you mentioned, you know, the diversity of agriculture, but you also mentioned a really wide array of issues that you focus on and want to touch on those just real quickly. Um, obviously, with the pandemic going on, there's a lot of uncertainty, but one thing you mentioned was rural health care, and that's something we at Farm Bureau have, have been very interested in, BJ knows, at the state level. Yeah, we hear a lot about that. It seems to be one of the topics that probably in the last four years pops up more and more. You know, broadband's one of those, but health is definitely probably right there with it recently. And we know in your district in particular, you've had some rural hospitals even close in recent history. So, you know, what do things look like from your perspective when it comes to rural health care, maybe at the state level, the federal level, you just kind of take that wherever you think. Absolutely. You know, up until uh, 2010, mm-hmm. which was the worst year for rural hospital closures, yeah. last year came right in, right in there. Pretty and close. if you look to Southeast Missouri, it's been unfortunate. We've had several rural hospital closures. Uh, and access to quality health care is so important. And it's something that we've looked at during this COVID pandemic. 
We have worked with the administration. We actually filed legislation to try to keep rural hospitals open. Um, a concern that we have, and we've been able to save a couple of our rural hospitals, whether it was in Ironton, whether it was in Haiti. These are hospitals that contacted us uh, throughout our time as a member of Congress where we've tried to help keep their doors open. And so far we've been able to help with those. Some others we've not been able to, but the pandemic has definitely led one issue that where you saw a lot of hospitals that reduced their uh, uh, their care for their, you know, basically their secondary care um, with the preparation and concern that they might be inundated with uh, COVID patients. And that really affected the bottom line for these rural hospitals. And so we filed legislation that would allow hospitals that have uh, received their Medicare accelerated payments that if they are viewed um, and qualify for being a distressed rural hospital, that that money would be forgiven. Wow, and there's yeah. several of our hospitals that are in that category. We've been pushing the administration. I actually think that the secretary has the authority to grant this uh, forgiveness to hospitals that are in dire need and that sure. could possibly close if they have to pay back this with high interest rates. I mean, it could be interest rates as high as 10%, which oh, is, I think, unacceptable. Um, but we are pushing that legislation. Uh, telehealth yes. is, is something that whenever this pandemic started, we knew right on that we needed something addressed. They're telling senior citizens not to go to the hospitals, yes. not to go to their primary care uh, physicians and to stay home. Well, guess what? If to have telehealth and to be reimbursed prior to the pandemic, you had to have visual and audio. Audio. And so you look at our congressional district where, say, Shannon County, Missouri, zero mm percent -hmm. connectivity level. You right. know, that's why we brought Chairman Pye in a couple years ago to have a, a round table in West Plains, Missouri, and we drove him around our congressional district. And I yeah. was like, you see, no broadband, this is real. you know, yeah. this is real. And I really think as we're driving around this farm tour that they're moving cell phone towers because where you had service no longer <laughs> is it. And I'm like, my provider doesn't change. Yeah. I, I'm telling yeah. you. And so, I mean, it's a huge issue. It's a safety issue, but uh, we petitioned the administration. I talked to the president about rescinding the requirement of having a visual offering for telehealth, and they actually suspended it. So okay. you don't have to have visual. We're excited about it. I think it should be permanent. It has been yeah. very helpful to our folks where they can just pick up the telephone, talk to their primary care provider, and it doesn't have to be you know, visual. So those are two aspects. But when you're talking about like uh, healthcare, Broadband is so important. Yes. When you're talking about education, broadband is so important. People are talking about online learning. Well, that's no learning for a lot of the kids in my area because they don't have broadband. And when you're talking about people are wanting to move to rural areas to get away from the craziness in Chicago <laughs> and New York, well, they want to be able to operate in their business yeah, through an online is. platform. But if they can't get online, they can't move here. So we have to continue to push the funding. I was happy just this week, we had a $3 million investment into Cape County right. with uh, some broadband uh, funding that's gonna help 5,000 households, but we need more. 
and we got to keep pushing that more. It needs to be uniform. And I think there's some regulatory side uh, that I've talked to the president about that I think you can help um, too that could streamline the process. So. Yeah, and your congressional district, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the one of the lowest connectivity rates nationally. Right? It is, that, and we yeah. point that out quite well, often. I've heard you say that <laughs> yeah. before, which is why and, I brought it up. Yeah, and it's getting better, but we got a long way to go. Okay. Up until just two weeks ago, I've never been able to get you know connected yeah. at my own house, and I lived 13 miles uh, from Rolla, the wow. second largest city in our congressional district. Um, Fortunate I've now moved out to my family farm so uh, I can get a cell phone service yeah. so I can, Somehow the I can at least better. connect. Yeah. So thank, thank the good Lord for that. Yeah. yeah, it was great to see that announcement this week. That'll be huge. That's close to my hometown and all that. And it's great to see. And they're not only is it those households, but they're also leveraging those dollars to connect other people, which I think is a good point. Everybody talks about the money coming. Well, it's not just that money. That allows that company to build into areas that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. So it's an exciting time, but something we have to continue to work towards for sure. Right. We gotta keep pushing. Yeah. Congressman, I know that you serve on the Ways and Means Committee and trade has certainly been at the forefront of President Trump's agenda over the past four years and kind of as we enter campaign season. Uh, things have been a little tense with China, as you know, because of everything with the virus, but we were pleased to see the phase one deal get agreed to earlier this year. Any thoughts on our current and potential trade agreements? And do you think the pandemic has had an impact on all of that? It has. Uh, you know, I serve on the trade subcommittee, mm -hmm. so we're in the middle of all the trade negotiations. In fact, the $80 billion phase one trade yeah. agreement that we have with China uh, is is incredible um incredible that if it does if china does follow through right. on everything yeah it will be wonderful but i will say that i've been very very concerned about china pulling their weight mm -hmm. and purchasing this year it's just under 40 billion dollars of agriculture commodities that they're supposed to purchase in fact i sent a letter and had six other, seven other members of the Ways and Means Committee who have an interest in agriculture products to join with me to the administration, continuing to push that China follows through with phase one when it comes to purchasing our agriculture commodities. And in fact, in June, Ambassador Lighthizer showed up at our hearing and I got him on record um, saying, do you believe that China will follow through? And he he publicly stated China will follow through, and I'm happy to report that uh, last month in, in July, uh, China actually purchased one of the, the largest uh, orders of corn that they have ever purchased from the United States. It was 1.76 million tons of corn, which in fact is the largest amount of corn purchased from any country ever. in three decades. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so basically almost in our lifetime. Yeah. And that's, that's remarkable. They've purchased some very large contracts of soybeans as well. And they've been purchasing some beef and pork. They still need to purchase more. Right. <laughs> um, I, I am very, wary of the, sure. the Chinese. They've not always been fair players, fair players yeah. um, but the president's holding them accountable mm -hmm. and, and things are working out. Uh, so it's good. It's, it's good for the farmers across Missouri. It's good for the farmers across our country. Um, it was great to see USMCA uh, finalized and done. That was a huge accomplishment. 
you know, there's a lot of good negotiations going on. We have phase one of Japan. We're looking at a possible phase two. That's going to help a lot of folks uh, in rural Missouri for the products that they, they grow and the products that they raise. There's also a lot of communications that I've personally had with folks in India, folks in Kenya, in the, in the United Kingdom and the European Union. Those are four areas that we need to have some really serious conversations about with some trade agreements. I have said numerous times with Ambassador Lighthizer that when we enter into an agreement with the United Kingdom, they better make agriculture front and center and not be like a protective hedgehog like they have been in the past. Yeah. If they're our ally, they need to be our ally when it comes to protecting agriculture commodities. So we're in the middle of the fight, but there's a lot of things going on. And this administration it seems like they have irons in the fire in multiple fires all yeah. the time. So yeah. you got to be in it. I think the president's doing a wonderful job. And um, I think there's a lot of future trade agreements that that are in store the last issue i want to kind of touch on before we get ready to close is you know you mentioned ambassador lighthizer testifying and certainly appreciated your comments on u.s livestock products particularly in negotiating negotiations with the united kingdom uh, there's been some unrest in the livestock sector especially as of late uh, what are you hearing from constituents in your district? Missouri Farm Bureau members have certainly been concerned about that volatility and any updates or anything you'd want to share that, that might provide a little bit more information about what's going on. They should be. You know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm a cattleman. I, you know, have a beef cattle operation in my hometown. Some of the cheapest prices I've ever sold steers was this year. Um, and And when you're looking at the margins that the big four meat packers have, it's unacceptable. You know, most cattlemen are fine with a couple hundred dollars, not a couple thousand per head. Whenever they're selling a steer for six to eight hundred dollars, mm -hmm. right. and, and, and you're going into the grocery store and a consumer's paying eight dollars a pound for ground beef, uh -huh. there's a problem. And so during this farm, uh, the farm tour, we've been hearing over and over the importance for mid-size processing facilities. Um, we're actually, we've been doing a lot of research and working on legislation. We gotta have tax incentives uh, to help create competition. Farmer-owned co-ops of those mid-size agriculture processing facilities. I think our state would be a great place mm -hmm. yeah. for a mid-size uh, kill-cow operation that would be a couple thousand head a week. You talk about raising the value for cattlemen's kill cows, yeah. plus you could market Missouri-grown beef. Missouri, you know, Missouri consumers would love to be able to buy Missouri beef. And I think that's a way I know that a lot of our state lawmakers have been very involved in this. I've been on several calls with our state lawmakers. I've been on calls with the lieutenant governor. Um, they're working really hard at trying to find a state and federal partnership to bring it all together to help help it happen. Um, you think about this. In 1920, Congress passed the Stockyards and Packers Act uh -huh. because they were worried about the monopoly of the big five mm -hmm. processors. A hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, yeah. the big five. Yeah. And now we're at the big four. Yeah. And they process about 80 to 82% of all of 
the cattle, and 50% is owned by South American companies, not even U.S. companies. If COVID taught us anything, Spencer, it is that we need to be self-sufficient when it comes to our food supply, when it comes to our medical supply, our prescription drugs, and our healthcare supplies. And we have to get serious when it comes to making sure we have our own seed companies, we have our own meat processors, and we can take care of ourselves when it comes to pharmaceuticals and healthcare supplies and not be relying on countries that aren't our friends. Those are all really great points. And those are things that our members are certainly very supportive of. We adopted policy a few years ago that said we support incentives that would attract processing facilities to Missouri. And there's certainly a renewed interest in that, given everything that has gone on. BJ, do you want to make any comments about the state yeah. level? No, I, I think that's been... It's been such a part of the conversation since the COVID situation happened in the shutdown. And it was the idea that farmers may have to euthanize their animals because they didn't have anywhere to take them. And that was because of small mix, you know, shakeups in the big four. If you had a local place that would be some insurance against those kinds of things in the future, it's, it's also having food for the customers in the grocery store, but also having a place to sell for the farmer to go to. It's all about having options, increasing that price at home as well as in the grocery store. I think that's right in line with what we've heard from our folks. It's good to hear the legislature at the state levels talking about it a lot. It's always one of those things that you fear is when things start to feel normal again, that this conversation goes away. And I think that's the thing we have to fight right now is that we get back to being complacent. Things start to feel better, but we have to make sure same thing as PPP or PPE, personal protective equipment, that we're able to supply our own food supply, our own healthcare supplies and those kinds of things. Cause that's what got us in trouble with some of the biggest fears we had back in March and April. Those were the scary things. A couple of our stops on our Ag Summit have been small county processors <laughs> and they have been so busy. Oh, it's some unbelievable. Of them, yeah, some of them are booked up until August of next year. Yeah. And so it shows the need and the desire for people to purchase their own meat mm -hmm. locally. Yes. And I think COVID has showed that more and more. There's been some companies, some businesses that have barely survived. Their doors have shut, some will never reopen. But there's also others that have had record months yeah. because they're that small town grocery store that took care of you know the people in their community. and. And maybe that local restaurant that people were like, I've never ordered carryout, but I'm going to go there because they need it. Yeah. And so I think a lot of folks in our state saw the importance it was to take care of small town, local um, businesses. And I think it's changed the mentality for, for a lot of us. So hopefully there's some good things to come out of, of, out of COVID. And I think that the reliance on local farmers for for their food supply is definitely a highlight. I don't Absolutely. know that that's a trend that's really going to change. And if you are listening and you're curious, Missouri Farm Bureau actually compiled a county-by-county county list of local processors and retail facilities that sell local Missouri beef. You can visit mofb.org and click on the Missouri Meat Directory to find a location near you. You can search by county and there are multiple locations per county. Congressman, you know, we really appreciate the time you've taken today. We know your schedule is very busy. Um, as is tradition, we started this earlier this year. Um, we still haven't figured out what we're going to call this. We had been calling it the quarantine question and now we're not in quarantine, so it doesn't make as much sense. But as we close out today, 
Um, the today's quarantine question is, if you were president of the United States, what flavor of ice cream would you stock on Air Force One? You know what, being a Missourian, there's only one flavor that you would have. For one, the ice cream cone was invented That's at right. the World's, World's Fair in St. Louis in 1904. Uh -huh. So, I mean, we are the state of ice cream. So it would have to be the gooey butter cake ice cream. I respect Since gooey that. butter cake is from our great home state and there's nothing better than that. I Thank love you. gooey butter cake. Okay, BJ, your turn. Sticking to a Missouri theme is Central Dairy Moose Tracks. Okay, that's, that's it right a good there. one. Just a good that's mix good. of chocolate, peanut uh -huh. butter, it's all right there. We what? have even our Central Dairy ice cream that they have distributors in Southeast Missouri. Absolutely. Yeah. It's some of the best. Yes, it is. My pick was also Central Dairy. BJ and I have had the same answer the last couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> My pick is Central Dairy Butter Pecan, okay. so not quite the same, but yep. um, if you're ever in Mid-Missouri and want to stop by Central Dairy, a Butter Pecan Milkshake, there is no finer treat. And it only costs you a couple dollars. And, it only, it's and still you can only pay in cash. Yep. Because, and, you know, their strawberry cheesecake ice cream is pretty good. That is good. <laughs> so let's that just is be good. real about it. <laughs> I grew up in, in Southwest Missouri, so opposite side of where y'all are from, and we have Hammond's Black Walnut Ice Cream oh, from yeah. Stockton, Missouri. Uh, it is a fan favorite in my book as well. Um, but if you're not from that area, you might not appreciate it nearly as much. I probably so. would have to have Andy's frozen custard in South. I, I like Andy's. Oh yeah, been to a lot of Andy's. Congressman, before we wrap up, any final comments or thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? You know, Spencer, BJ, thank you for letting me be a part of the conversation. But I appreciate what Missouri Farm Bureau does. I appreciate what you both do. It's so important. We all represent the same people of this great state. And, and agriculture and our rural way of life is all that we know. And it's important that we continue to, to push and fight for our freedoms, what we believe in, and, and not ever let up. Yeah. Well, Congressman, we certainly appreciate your relationship with our members and our organization, and uh, we look forward to continuing to work with you throughout um, the rest of this year and beyond. So thank you so much, and we will catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you.